If you still haven't gotten your dad a Father's Day present, I've got several really cool suggestions for you this morning. First up, how about an iPhone bottle opener? Wouldn't that be a great gift for a dad? An iPhone bottle opener. How about this one? A barbecue grill floodlight. You know when you're out cooking burgers at 2 in the morning and you need a little light on the subject? How about a nice floodlight there? Here's another one. This is a great one. An initialized steak brand. So when you cook those steaks, baby, you can mark them with your initials right there. Wouldn't that be a great Father's Day gift? How about this one? A golf club drink dispenser. That looks pretty cool. And I've saved the coolest to the last. What about a shotgun ride in a pro stock car? You can get that for your your father. You can. How about that? And yet as appealing as these gifts might sound to you, I want none of the above. I'm asking for oil this Father's Day. And I know what you're thinking. That guy's gone nuts finally. That is so bizarre. Pastor Sandy's flipped his lid. He wants oil for Father's Day. But when I say oil, what do you think? I mean, some of you are assuming motor oil. Oh, he's going to change the oil in his truck. He's asking for some Mobile One. Others of you figure that I'm beach bound. I'm asking for some banana boat, some tanning oil. I'm working on my tan. A few of you who don't know me think that I'm cooking dinner tonight. I never cook dinner. But I'm asking for Crisco vegetable oil. But that, no, that's not going to work. And some of you think I got some squeaky stuff at home, and so I want some three-in-one oil, some lubricating oil. Or maybe you think that it's time for a new hairstyle. I've only had this one for 40 years. And so I'm going old school. You know, I'm oiling up with some Vitalis hair tonic. Maybe you think that's what I mean when I say oil. Or maybe you think I'm going to spruce up my truck, you know, so I want some armor all to oil up the dash and the interior and all. Or maybe I'm going to pick up baseball again. And so I need some Rawlings glove oil so I can rub and work it into my new mitt. Or maybe I'm purchasing some old English lemon oil so I can polish up the furniture and the woodwork around the crib. Well, I'm sure any of these oils would make for a great Father's Day present, but that's not what I'm interested in. When I tell you I want oil for Father's Day, I'm not referring to motor oil or suntan oil or cooking oil or hair oil or three-in-one oil or linseed oil or lemon oil. What I want for Father's Day is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And this is the one gift that none of my sons, no matter how rich they become, will ever be able to afford to give me. Only God's Son can pay for my forgiveness and make me right with God and obtain for me the oil of the Holy Spirit. Hey, for the last 30 years, with all my heart, I've wanted to be a good dad, a godly dad, a father who models my heavenly father. Now I want to be a good granddad, but I can do neither without the oil of the Holy Spirit. 
Usually the initial impression that we glean of our Father in heaven and often the most lasting impression comes from the man on earth that we call dead. That's why to reflect God to our kids, a dead needs supernatural help. Which is why this Father's Day, I want to be filled and overflowing with the presence and the power and the love and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, God gives us pictures of the Holy Spirit, various idioms and symbols that are associated with the Spirit and His ministry. These spiritual snapshots give us insights into the nature and into the workings of the Holy Spirit. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, and that's particularly true with God's Spirit. The Bible portrays the Spirit as a dove, and as wine, and as water, and as fire. And as wind, at the baptism of Jesus, you remember the Holy Spirit descended on our Lord as a dove. I mean, the trademark of the Holy Spirit is His gentleness. The Holy Spirit also brings to life in us a sparkle and an excitement. The excitement of new wine. It's been said, a drunkard starts out to get mellow. Then he gets ripe. Finally ends up rotten. Whereas a Christian filled with the Spirit starts out rotten, ripens with fruit, and then ends up mellow, living and abiding in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the believer's buzz. If you want real joy, a heavenly high, don't resort to distilled spirits. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus also spoke of the Spirit as water. You remember, he said in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus depicts the Holy Spirit as a rushing, cooling, refreshing drink of water. And the Holy Spirit is also seen as fire. He ignites the kindling of repentance and confession. And then he blows on it and sets ablaze our hearts with passion for God. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the first disciples in Jerusalem, flickers of fire were seen dancing over the heads of the disciples. The fire over their head was a metaphor for what was occurring in their hearts. From Pentecost, the revival spread like wildfire. And of course, in John 20, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a puff of breath or a fresh wind. And a move of the Holy Spirit is like a windstorm. But another very significant idiom for the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures is the oil that flows from a freshly squeezed olive. Olive oil played a vital role in ancient Israel. It soothed tired and aching and sore muscles. It cooled a flushed brow. It moistened wounds. It softened brittle surfaces. And likewise, the Holy Spirit does all of that and more in our hearts. He soothes the troubled soul. He softens the calloused heart. He moistens or he saturates a dried up creativity and imagination. He even cools hot passions and violent tempers. In the Bible, the sick are anointed with olive oil and prayer is offered for their healing Again, the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit and His ability to treat us and to cure us. 
Now, it's interesting when Jewish kings and priests and prophets were inaugurated for office, they were always anointed with oil. A ram's horn full of olive oil was poured over their head. They were soaked in oil. An anointing always came with God's appointing. In a sense, this kind of thing is done today when a coach wins a big game. The players anoint him with Gatorade. The difference, though, is that the coach's anointing is celebratory, whereas a biblical anointing was preparatory. It was anticipatory. Olive oil was a symbol of what was needed to do the important God-given job. You see, God's calling, whatever it might be, is always big shoes to fill. But with God's calling comes God's equipping. And the olive oil dramatized the need for Holy Spirit power. And let me say, another huge God-ordained job to fill is that of a dad. The appointment of a dad is a big deal. I like this t-shirt. Dad since 2011. It establishes the date of his appointment. He took a big job in the year 2011. A lot now rides on his determination and his faithfulness. And a dad, therefore, needs to be anointed. I wouldn't mind if we took a ram's horn full of oil and poured it all the he over the heads of all of our dads here this morning. Or at least gave you a Gatorade shower. We certainly need what that anointing represents. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Realize the calling of a father is a bit of all three of these Old Testament offices. Part king, part priest, part prophet. Every dad should be the king of his castle. And if he gets out of line, his queen will be there to crown him. A dad needs to be a benevolent monarch. He needs to lead. He needs to take charge and rule his home. But he needs to rule with kindness. Jesus was this kind of king. He was both king and servant. That should be the goal of every dad. To rule his subjects with their best interests at heart. A dad, though, is also a prophet. He's the one called by God to communicate God's word to those under his roof. God's ways are not man's ways, and it was the prophet's job to remind God's people accordingly. Likewise, a father's job is to both confront his kids with God's truth and to convince his kids of God's truth. He is God's spokesman to his family. He's the prophet in that family. And surely, a father's role resembles that of a priest. Every dad should be a priest to his own family. In fact, priest may speak more to a father's role than either king or prophet. A godly dad will assume a priestly role. He will stand in the gap for his family. The Old Testament priests, they were the overseers of Hebrew worship. They were the caretakers of the temple. Their primary function was the offering of various sacrifices. The Hebrew word translated priest is kohen. I have a Jewish friend who's also a believer in Jesus. He would always join us down in Haiti whenever we did a mission trip to cook for our team. His name was Irv Cohen. You see, if Irv had lived in Old Testament times, he probably would have been a chief priest rather than a chief cook. Irv's a great guy, but he's an average cook. 
In fact, I told Irv once that I knew that he was of priestly descent long before I knew his last name was Cohen because everything he cooked tasted like a burnt offering. <laughs> the, the Hebrew dictionary defines this word Cohen or priest as one who undertakes anyone's cause or who stands up in anyone's matter or who labors in another's cause. A Cohen was a mediator between two parties. He represented God to the people, and he represented the people to God. The Latin translation literally meant bridge builder. The priests built bridges to communicate God's word to the people and to bring the people's needs before God. They proclaimed God's truth, and they interceded in prayer. Now today, in the strictest sense, there's no more formal priesthood. The priestly role was eclipsed by Jesus. This is what the book of Hebrews is about. It refers to Jesus as our great high priest, that he is the one and only mediator between God and man. Hebrews 2 verse 17 refers to Jesus as the perfect priest, the one who was faithful to God and merciful to man. As the God-man, Jesus is our bridge to God, and he's God's bridge to us. With Jesus as our great high priest, we no longer need any other kind of priesthood. And yet, in the life of a child, the priesthood of Jesus can be subsidized in part by the role of a godly dad. For you see, a father is also a bridge builder. Like a Jewish priest, dads also sacrifice for and intercede for and supervise the worship of their kids. A dad stands in the gap for his kids in lots of ways. We represent God to them and we pray to God for them. Like a priest, each day a dad undertakes another person's cause. He feels for the trials and struggles his kids face. He seeks to bring his kids hope and help and healing. A father takes a stand for his kids. He offers them moral support and practical help, protection and provision, direction and supervision. And he labors in his kid, for his kids in a million often unseen ways. More importantly, a good and godly dad stands up for his kids, even while he's on his knees. I'll never forget an incident that happened one day at the ballpark when my youngest son, Mac, was just a toddler. Mac was innocently throwing rocks, I think innocently, when one of them hit a young lady who was walking by. Well, she wasn't hurt. At the time, Mac didn't have enough velocity to hurt anybody with his throw. But the lady got angry, and she wouldn't let bygones be bygones. In fact, her husband was a foreigner, I think of Middle Eastern descent, who must have been from a part of the world where conflicts were settled with sword fights and kids were beaten in the town square. Because I apologized for my son. I told the man that I would correct him in my time and in my way, but that wasn't good enough for the guy. I mean, he wanted to take matters into his own hands. And I had to physically step between that man and my toddler. I thought for a moment there there was going to be an altercation. He might have had a sword, but I had a baseball bat. <laughs> Finally, the guy backed off. 
Man, but that incident gave me a new appreciation for the phrase, standing in the gap. And this is what a father is willing to do for his child. He will stand in the gap for his kids, even if it threatens his own safety. Every day, a dad stands between his kids and a hostile world. He resists the evil influences that are trying to attack his kids. He's forced to deal with the mistakes that his kids make, unintentional and deliberate. And I've learned one important truth. It's a lot easier to sit on the sidelines than it is to stand in the gap. Often in the gap, you feel as if you're being shot at from both sides. The world is attacking you from without, while your rebellious kids are resisting you from within. But a father belongs in that gap. That is his place. It's in the gap that his kids are going to rub up against the world and grow desperate for God. It is the most dangerous place to be, but it is the place where a kid begins to learn lessons that will end up shaping who he or she becomes. This is where the Old Testament priest stood, in the gap. This priest, he had a messy, bloody, grueling job. He was constantly squaring up with the people's sin. He would hear their confession. Then he would take the knife and he would sacrifice the animal that that sin required. And this is what a father does today. A dad who stands in the gap for his kids is not oblivious to their mistakes and to their failures. He knows their shortcomings. But instead of condemning them and being embarrassed by their mistakes and hinging his pride on their performance, he's willing to get messy and bloody and work to see his kids forgiven and restored and made whole. A father loves his kids no matter what they do. Certainly a father should stand for God. A godly father never compromises God's truth, not even for his own children's sake, but he also stands with his kids. And you can do both. A godly dad, like a priest, prays for his kids and he works tirelessly to restore them to God when they fall. You remember Job? He served as a priest to his kids. Job chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 read, Now his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Notice, Job offered a sacrifice just in case his kids went off and sinned against God. He was that concerned about his kids' spiritual welfare and their position before God. Here's a poem that talks about a father's priestly role. You know, it's a dad's job to leave a legacy of faith to his kids, to build bridges of encouragement and support. Listen to this poem. An old man traveling a lone highway came at evening, cold and gray, to a chasm deep and wide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim for the sullen stream. It held no fears in him. But he turned when he reached the other side and he built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, cried a fellow pilgrim near. You're wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day and you'll never again pass this way. 
You have crossed this chasm deep and wide. Why build you a bridge at evening tide? Well, good friend, on the path I've come, he said, there follows after me today a youth whose feet will pass this way. This stream which has been is naught to me. To that fair-haired boy may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. You see, a dad doesn't just live for himself. He's not concerned about his own selfishness. He's building a bridge for the next generation. He's building bridges for his kids. You see, the priest was the people's closest link to God. Their knowledge of God's wisdom and love and mercy and truth was derived from their contact with this priest. This priest had tremendous influence, for better or for worse. Because of him, the nation ended up either loving God or avoiding God. And this priestly power is the same sort of sway a father has over the lives of his kids. A dad forms a child's first impression of God. If you ever visit San Antonio, Texas, a must stop is to go see the Alamo. I've been to San Antonio a couple of times and I always love to go to the Alamo. I remember my first visit. I always wanted to see where John Wayne held off Santa Ana's army. <laughs> Near the entrance to the Alamo, there's a portrait of one of its brave heroes. And under this picture is an inscription. It reads, James Butler Bonham. No portrait of him exists. This is a portrait of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. And I hope you understand, a portrait of our hero also doesn't exist. We don't have a picture of Jesus. Jesus died for our freedom. He's our hero. And yet God has ordained for our kids to know Jesus by looking to their dad. Reminds me of the Sunday school class where the teacher asked the kids to draw a picture of God. One child portrayed God as a brightly colored rainbow. Another child drew him as an old man coming out of the clouds. Still another little boy, he drew God as a, with a strong resemblance to Superman. But the best sketch came from a little girl who said, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew a picture of my daddy. This is why I say a father's role are, is, a, is big shoes to fill. For better or for worse, a child learns about God by looking at the character of their dad. Which brings us to this morning's text. You thought we'd never get there, did you? The dedication of the first priests. Imagine Aaron and sons preparing and waiting for their day of dedication. This tabernacle was newly constructed. God had started a new work on earth. Prior to this tent or tabernacle, the heavens and all of nature had served as God's temple. His sanctuary had included the land and the sea and the sky. Everywhere was God's altar. But now God was constructing a footstool on the earth. A centralized location where men could come and sit at his feet and focus their worship on him. Dad, perhaps your most important job is to make your home a tabernacle. A dad sets the pace in this. 
It's the father's job to invite the presence of God into his home by his attitude and by his actions. Dad, is your home God's house? Have you invited him to enter into your home? Well, the priest was the father of the house of Israel. And God had chosen Aaron and his sons to orchestrate the tabernacle worship. Imagine how Aaron must have felt. God had communicated to Moses that he had selected Aaron's family as the priestly breeding ground. The Jewish priesthood would all sprout from Aaron's stock. A new day had dawned, a new place for worship, a new priesthood, even newly designed uniforms. I mean, put yourself in Aaron's sandals. It's his dedication day. He is assuming a strategic office. He is wearing garments that have been tailored to divinely inspired specifications. Aaron is blown away that all this is happening to him. You remember, God chose him even after the golden calf fiasco. That was Aaron's doings. Aaron had introduced idolatry to Israel, and yet God had forgiven him. And now appointed him and was willing to use him. Like some of us dads, we feel so unworthy. And yet God loves us and he's honored us to take up his banner, to represent him to our kids. Aaron is thinking, who am I to live and work within the orbit of God's holiness? I think when you see Aaron in heaven, he'll be the guy wearing the t-shirt that says, High Priest since 1445 B.C. But here in Exodus chapter 29, it's his first day on the job. No wonder his pulse is racing. No wonder his heart is about to pound out of his chest. He's standing before God to become Israel's first high priest. Exodus 29 conveys God's instructions for dedicating these Hebrew priests. Read with me verse 1. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. The ephod was a smock worn worn over the priestly robes. And attached to the ephod was a breastplate that contained 12 gems, 12 precious stones. Each one represented a different one of Israel's 12 tribes. The ephod hung from the priest's shoulders over his heart. You see, this garment represented God's love for the people. It also represents our security in Christ. Did you know that as Christians, God considers us to be jewels, to be valuable gems? And James and Josh's, we hang from the big, broad shoulders of Jesus. That means there's nothing tentative or probationary about our status before God. We're as secure as the shoulders of Jesus. Shoulders that bear the world and that bore the cross. 
The high priest, you see, he wore this breastplate over his heart as a reminder of God's love for his people. Verse 5 continues describing the priest's attire. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. He also wore this holy headdress. The turban and the crown, they were the final pieces in the priestly uniform. And by the time you get to the end of verse 6, Aaron is all dressed for dedication. The priest now is standing there in full uniform. The proper sacrifice is in his hand. He's been washed and cleansed with water. He's clothed in the right garments. The breastplate is now hanging over his heart. His head is even properly wrapped. You'd think Aaron would be ready for the job, wouldn't you? He's all spruced up and dressed up for graduation. I mean, he's covered and cleansed and clothed and conditioned and now even capped. But there's one more detail that remains. Apparently, all of the preparations of these first six verses were not enough to ensure a good priest. In verse 7, God adds a detail. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. A priest was not ready to begin his duties until he was drenched with the oil. And here is the application for all of us fathers here this morning. Dad, you can trust Jesus as your sacrifice. Your thoughts and your feelings can be washed with the water of God's Word. You can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You can even wrap your mind in the turban of truth. You have invited God to be at home in your house You love your kids with all your heart. You treat them as your jewels and you carry them on your shoulders. But realize, all this is insufficient apart from the olive oil. For you still need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. I once saw a Father's Day card that on the outside read, Being a dad can be expensive Time-consuming, frustrating, confusing, and emotionally draining. Then you open up the card, and on the inside it reads, Actually, it's a lot like playing golf. (laughs) Did you know God gave golf to the human race, especially to the male gender, to keep us humble? You know why they call it golf? All the other four-letter words were taken. It is the most difficult game to master. I mean, even the best golfers don't win every week. Strange things, fluky things happen in a round of golf. And the same is true with rearing kids. I mean, just about the time you think you've got life under control again and you've got your game together, Junior brings home a note from school. Oh no, what has he done now? Missy wants to date some creep. Oh my, the police call in the middle of the night and suddenly you're right back to where you were before the last crisis, on your knees crying out for help. This is why a dad needs help greater than himself. You see, if you have kids, young kids, and I mean really young kids, You might be living under the illusion that you have this parenting gig down pat. I mean, you've listened to some episodes of Focus on the Family. You've read all the best parenting books. You've even taken someone's 10-week course. You are now an expert on child training. 
Well, hold on to your hat, baby. The teenage years are coming. They are fast approaching. And very soon, you're going to be facing situations you have no idea how to handle. This is why the indispensable ingredient for successful parenting is God's Holy Spirit. He is the edge every dad needs. The Holy Spirit is a father's secret weapon. As Christians, we know the battle we fight is against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. The battle we fight is spiritual. It's against spiritual wickedness. We battle the flesh, the world, the devil. And those are the foes we face in our parenting. The flesh wants to cripple our kids. The world wants to draw them into temptation. The devil wants to finish them off. And this is why every parent needs a spiritual arsenal. Conventional weapons are not enough. You don't fight a nuclear war with conventional weapons and neither do you fight a spiritual battle with fleshly techniques. All of the how-to books and the self-help manuals, they're not enough. We need weapons that can counter spiritual forces. We need the power and gifts and wisdom and strength and love of the Holy Spirit. I started out as a father believing that a paddle was my most important tool. But you see, it didn't take long for my kids to harden up on both ends, the head and the seat. Now I realize that my most effective tool in parenting is not the paddle, but prayer. Priestly intercession is a father's most strategic tool. Steve Farrar, he writes this of a praying dad. He says, a godly father is the unseen spiritual submarine who lurks below the surface of every activity of his child's life. A man who has put on the full armor of God and goes to warfare on his knees is a force to be reckoned with. We cannot be with our kids 24 hours a day, but through prayer we have the ability to affect situations even when we are not physically present. You may be undetected, but that doesn't mean you are ineffective. Hey, before you scoff and laugh it off, let me ask you, have you prayed for that child? Really prayed for your rebellious child? Notice here in chapter 29, the priest was dressed to the hilt, but the right robes weren't enough. He needed the oil. And likewise, it doesn't matter how righteous your deeds might be. It doesn't matter how pure your thoughts have become. You need more to be a good dad you need to be anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Good works, Bible knowledge, even strong love are important. But you know what? They don't always impress our kids. But here's what your kids can't deny. If your experience of God is real and authentic and the power of the Holy Spirit is evident in you, it will capture their attention. Dad, oftentimes your kids will overlook you, but it's far more difficult for them to overlook God in you. A dad filled with the Holy Spirit will be a much more effective dad. It reminds me of the three kids bragging about their dad. The first child said, my dad knows Nathan Deal, the governor of Georgia. I think he's still the governor. The second child, he said, that's nothing. My dad knows Barack Obama, the president of the United States. The third child, he ended the argument by responding, well, 
my dad, he's good friends with God. Kids know. They see beneath the veneer. They discern what's in our hearts. A child is more prone to surrender to the authority of his parents when he's sure that his parents are surrendered to the authority of God. Two weeks ago, Zach and I, we were eating dinner at the pastor's conference in California. We were seated at a table with several other pastors. When one of them asked Zach, he said, what was it like being a pastor's kid in Pastor Sandy's house? Well, I pretended not to listen. Pass me the bread over here, but boy... I was hanging on every word. And I'll tell you what Zach said. He turned to the guy and he said, It was real. We saw God working in our parents. We knew that His power was real. That's all he said. Now I'm sure that God has been just as real in other people's lives and their kids have failed to recognize His hand at work. Just because a kid rejects God doesn't mean his parents were hypocrites or failed to live out their faith. But I do think that the best testimony we can provide our kids is a living witness of the power of the Holy Spirit. If we do that, we have done our job. Tim Dalrymple was a top gymnast at Stanford University before he broke his neck and it ended his career Tim had plenty of reasons to deny his Christian faith, but he had one big reason to hold on and trust God. He writes, It was the example of my father. I saw in his life something undeniably true I couldn't explain away. This is why I say a man's best friend, certainly a father's best friend, is not his dog or his army buddy or his old teammate or even his wife. It's the Holy Spirit. Men, if you want to be the priest in your home and stand in the gap for your kids, then you need the power and presence and peace of the Holy Spirit. Once there was a little girl, she posed a question to her mom. She said, Mommy, if the stork brings us babies and if Santa Claus brings us presents and if Jesus gives us our daily bread, then why do we keep Daddy around? And I hope this morning I've answered that question. It's because every home needs a benevolent king who will lovingly lead his family. Every home needs a brave prophet who will speak truth to his family. And perhaps most importantly, every home needs a faithful priest who will stand in the gap for his family. Every child needs a dad willing to stand in the gap between God and this world with he or she in mind. A man with a heavenly calling to represent God to his kids and to intercede on behalf of his kids to God. A father's goal is not just to pay the bills and take out the trash and mow the lawn. It's to reflect God. And that's why every father needs the Holy Spirit. Have I said that yet? I'm praying that this Father's Day, as well as all our days, God will pour out the oil of His Spirit on you and me.